0: This episode is brought to you by Hostfully. Using Hostfully, you can create a free digital guidebook for your listing so that you can save time creating a professional experience for every guest that comes and visits your spot. Learn more at Hostfully.com. Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome.
1: Episode number 314 of Get Paid for Your Pad. 300 is a special number because it's a number pie. So for the nerdy people under us. Uh, I'm assuming uh, my guest is uh, one of those. Anton Zilberberg, he's a bit of a legend. Not only did he attend both our STR Legends events, but also he runs a property management company out of Toronto called QuickStay. And he's the founder of AutoHost, an artificial intelligence screening tool that you can use to keep the bad guests out and get the good guests in. So Anton, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Anton, we have a lot of things to discuss, but today's topic is going to be Airbnb listing management. We're gonna talk about what is the best way to set up your account. So you're gonna do one account and list all your listings under one account. Do you wanna do multiple accounts? You know, do you want to have one account per listing? You know, what if you manage other people's people's properties or you're doing the rental arbitrage, we're going to dive really deep into what's the best setup, depending on your type of business, depending on the market that you're in. We've prepared a, a pretty awesome document here with uh, all sorts of pros and cons and, uh, and and a lot of good stuff. So it's going to be a really interesting uh, episode, Anton. So I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. You've been on the podcast before, episode 291 it was, that was about six months ago. So, yeah, it's great to have you back, man.
0: Yeah, good to hear your voice. I just met you last week, right? We're hanging out (laughs) in Cartagena. (laughs) Slightly different uh, climate change than I'm in right now, but (laughs) still cool. Yeah,
1: climate shock going from like 90 to like minus 90 or something probably.
0: Yeah, for the American ones or plus 30 to minus (laughs) 5.
1: Exactly, yeah. All right, man, so let's dive into it. Um, I think one of the things that... Really, uh, I noticed when we are in Cartagena with, uh, with all the other uh, property managers and operators is that everyone seems to have a different setup in terms of their accounts. So you know, one person like yourself, you use a lot of different accounts other people have all their listings under one account and a lot of other people they they cluster their account right so they'll they'll have like 10 listings under this account and then ten listings under under a different account and I think there's pros and cons to pretty much all of the four options that they're out there there's one option that I think doesn't really work for anybody but uh, well let's start with that one actually because Airbnb came up with the the co-hosting model right where you can be a co-host on somebody else's account and I think the idea was that, you know, people who manage other people's properties like yourself, that they would add themselves as a co-host on the owner's listing and then manage it for them that way. I think that was the idea behind this functionality, you know, and why Airbnb has created it, but it's not a very good option, right? What, What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think they're phasing it out. Uh, in favor of Teams as well, which has other limitations. But the co-hosting was created, uh, I believe it was created so that to keep the Airbnb business flowing so that you don't have to integrate with the PMS and provide other people the ability to manage it. So therefore keeping the inventory and calendar on Airbnb rather than syncing it to external platforms. We actually started our management business by listing on co-host, as a co-host on Airbnb. And we ended up getting a bunch of leads early on through their marketplace. So that kickstarted our company. So from a marketing perspective, it was great. However, from a functionality perspective, it was an absolute disaster because you couldn't sync it with any PMS. There was nothing that was supported there. I think there was an issue with payment routing as well and messaging routing. And it was very difficult. And overall, it was missing the functionality of a professional property management company.
1: Right. So it didn't really work for you guys. And I think another reason that I don't really know any property managers that use this functionality is that the owner has control over the account.
0: Yeah. You never want to provide an owner control over the account. I am so against it now that even if we have an owner that is looking at messages or looking at the way that we phrase things, we fire them. (laughs) Tell us why. You don't want anyone to micromanage you. I mean, we're at the end of the day, this is a highly operational business and things are happening 24-7. So sometimes, you know, your agents, they get uh, bombarded with phone calls and messages. And then all of a sudden, a guest is complaining for a couple of minutes or waiting for a response. And the owner would be like, well, why did you respond to them immediately? Well, we also have hundreds of other properties and a bunch of other things to do, right? So... This just wasn't in the priority for that moment, right? And some owners don't fully understand that it is hospitality and that it's very difficult to operate this way. So they become very picky about things as well as reading reviews and, you know, if there was an issue with cleanliness, for example, so they can start picking apart what you're doing wrong. And if they're not making enough money, it gets even accelerated because then they go and they look at the reviews and say, we actually had somebody bring it up. It's like, why are my competitors or why are your other listings 4.82 reviews and mine is only 4.76? And I'm like, what are you, serious? (laughs) Do you really want me to spend time explaining to you how statistics work, right? So you want to avoid that as much as possible. In our company overall, we don't provide owners with control and we actually pre-qualify them now. And we're saying that this is an investment. This is not your hospitality business. This is not your pet project. If you're looking for it to be your pet project, manage it yourself. I'm not interested in being your vendor and partner in this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, well, that's very clear. All right, so the first option, if you want to start managing other people's properties, right? There's there's four options essentially how you can set it up. And option number one, co-hosting on the owner's account, is not a great setup because of the reasons that you just mentioned: uh, payment issues, you know, owners trying to micromanage you. You don't control the account as well, so you could have owners making adjustments to the listings. So there's a lot of reasons that you that you don't want to do that. Can you think of any situation where you would advise people to use this functionality?
0: Sure. If you have just a couple of property or two and you're managing your mother's account or something like that, maybe a co-host would be an easy way to just plug in. I do think that Airbnb is phasing out this functionality altogether in favor of teams. So, you know, it may be obsolete by the time that we finish this podcast. (laughs) Okay. Actually,
1: I, I I don't know. I don't know if Airbnb moves that fast. but <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who knows? But actually, we, an interesting situation that happened to us is that because we use uh, PMS to sync all of our messages and we had an owner that was sitting with their Airbnb app looking at the messages and they actually started replying to things which made the conversation out of order. So the guest was completely confused. So that is another reason why you don't want Airbnb, uh, your, uh, your clients to have access to the accounts, right? Just in case they decide to help, quote unquote.
1: Ah, that's funny all right man let's go to option number two which is have all your listings under one account let's talk about the pros the advantages of this setup
0: yeah for sure so actually when we started we put everything under one account until we realized that it has some limitations as well and we'll get into them in a minute But the advantages there is that it's a little bit easier to manage when you're just starting out and you're building account credibility really quickly. So you can just pile up and create more listings there. So those listings would get the benefit and reviews of your host profile as well as the other listings. The other advantages there is that it's actually faster to build that reputation. And eventually the reviews would just, the host reviews, would eventually uh, balance out, right? And it's easier to get the superhost status, and it's easier to get higher rankings, and you have the SEO benefits and marketing benefits across your entire account. So that's amazing. And it also complies with Airbnb's terms of service, right? So you can have as many accounts, as many listings as you want under the same account.
1: Right. So there's there's quite a lot of advantages to this system. And I, I would say this is a good place to start. This is a good way to start uh because you keep things very simple, plus you get you build a reputation on Airbnb quickly, right? So if you if you already have like five listings and you're a super host and you have a couple hundred reviews, and if you then add a new listing, that listing is gonna get a lot of traction because uh, you already have so many reviews so people are more comfortable booking a new listing where it says like oh this host has like 200 five star reviews for his other properties and then you look at you know you look at the profile you see that person is a super host so there's a lot of a uh, lot of advantages in terms of simplicity and in terms of being able to build a reputation and a brand quickly but what is uh, what are some disadvantages
0: Sure. There's also a lot of cost savings happening in there, right? I mean, if you have all your listings or a lot of listings under one account, you probably don't need the sophisticated PMS, um, expensive PMS that can support multiple accounts and multiple variables, uh, variables and things like that. You also don't need to worry about multiple phone numbers, right? Reaching and routing because that requires additional technology. So one account, of course, has that benefit. However, the cons of one account is that in case there's an issue with that account, whatever that may be, a guest issue or a cancellation or whatever, and everybody can suspend that account, then all of your revenue, 100% of your revenue is gone, right? And you need to figure out how to deal with it. And that's a serious disaster recovery. I think that the biggest issue here is the regulatory problem because regulators and people who are looking at this with a negative perspective, all of them are looking for these multi-listing hosts, Right. So all of a sudden, if you gobble up 100 units or 100 listings under one profile, you're taking the risk that you will set yourself as a target. And I think that's an issue.
1: Yeah, so that, that makes sense. So I, I would say if you are in a market that is not very short-term rental friendly, so either there already is regulations, like in some markets, there's regulations that you can't have you know, more than like one listing or more than, I don't know, 10 listings. But some markets, those rules are not in place yet, but you know, they may be in the future, right? So if there's, if there's a market where there's currently debate going on, whether, you know, what kind of regulations they, they want to impose, then uh, if, you, if you're out there with like 200 listings in, in one account, then they're probably going to go after you first, right?
0: Of course. And a situation that we ran into is that when we onboarded managed accounts, uh, when we managed it for somebody else, and the owner did not want to upgrade certain elements let's say the fridge they didn't want to the fridge was constantly breaking and it was really hot so we had guests who it was a cottage it was like a really fancy cottage and the owner was selling the place because it was strapped for cash they didn't want to buy a new new fridge so all the groceries kept on being spoiled now unfortunately what ended up happening is because it was on the big account I was generating a lot of reservations on a daily basis that one listing took down the superhost status of that account and impacted revenues negatively for everything else that was on there. So you're also running the risk of that, right? So I don't recommend doing that. And I only recommend launching one account, one master account when you're in the full control of the listing. And if there's an issue in the property, you can either delist it or fix that issue as quickly as possible.
1: Right. So you're saying if you're not dealing with owners, if you're, for example, if you're doing the rental arbitrage method, where you're just renting a bunch of places and putting them on Airbnb, or if you own the places, if you have full control, then that risk is
0: uh, is a lot lower. Exactly.
1: Right. And the example that you mentioned, so what happened exactly? The guests basically complained to Airbnb and then Airbnb took down the account?
0: Um. No. So the... The fridge kept on breaking because it was really hot in the house and didn't have AC. It's a relatively fancy house, but it's a cottage house, right? And what ended up happening is that the fridge kept on blowing out or something in the fridge kept on blowing out and it would just stop cooling. So all the groceries would go bad and, and, it, would go, and it would get soiled, right? So what happened was either the guests would ask for a refund and then they would leave a bad review as well. Or they would just leave a bad review or be very unsatisfied with their stay, and rightfully so, right? You expect when you're arriving in a cottage, usually you would buy a bunch of stuff, groceries and make barbecues and things like that, or even want to drink a cold beer. You're expecting the fridge to be functioning. I think it's basic requirements. What ended up happening with us, though, is that we told the owner to fix it, and the owner said, yeah, 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 I fixed it. They fixed it. And this was a property that was three hours away, so there was no way for us to confirm. and. It turned out that they just sent their father or something like that to fix it. And they said, oh, yeah, it's working. And they left. So the next time it happened again. So Airbnb, I think, unlisted the entire account for us because we lied to the guest that it was fixed. And that looked really negatively on us.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a disaster. All right. So having all your properties under one account, essentially, there's a lot of operational advantages, but there's a lot of risk involved. For who is this model a good system? For who is this a good model, right? So it's either if you're a small operator, especially if you control the units, uh, it's it's definitely... It's definitely a good method to use when you're starting out because you, get the, you can get a lot of traction quickly. But as, a, as you expand, then you really have to think about, okay, you know, how, how do I weigh the operational advantages versus the, the risk that I'm taking, especially if you're in a market where it's already regulated or it's likely that regulations are, are, going, to, are going to be in place in the future.
0: Or if you have all of your units are legal, right? all of them are compliant and legal and or hotels or commercial spaces, then you don't really have to worry about it. You can have 10,000 units in there and you wouldn't have a big problem.
1: Right. That's, but that's only if you control them, right? Correct.
0: Exactly. All right,
1: cool. So that's option number two. So we, so far we went through the sort of Airbnb's co-hosting feature. And then the second option is they want just list everything under one account and uh, let's consider the next option, which is you know clustered accounts. So we see a lot of operators that are using this method where essentially you're creating, you have multiple accounts, multiple Airbnb accounts, but you're managing, you know, whether it's like 10, 15, 20, 25 units. Uh, usually these are clustered, geographically or by property type right so we have some operators that are in different markets and so they would have one account for each market or even one account for each country and some of them will have one account for the luxury properties and then one account for you know the sort of the commodity one two bedrooms so what are your what are your thoughts on on that on using the clustered accounts what are the advantages
0: that is actually my favorite way of uh, of doing it with multiple cluster accounts if it's Uh, master lease, then what we do is we can have multiple clustered accounts. We can do it per listing, or we can do it by listing type, or like you mentioned, by property type. What I like to do is I like to figure out a balance between multiple properties so let's say a property that is not a luxury property not a high-end property we would combine it with a medium property together with a few luxury property or together with properties that generally get good reviews so that you'll be able to sustain high rankings on it and high reviews what ends up happening frequently is that if you cluster let's say you have a building that is an old building and we used to have that as well we clustered all the units into one account the average review on that was very, very low on the, across the entire profile. It was, I think, 4.3 or 4.4, which is considered very low. I think Airbnb unlists the account at 4.2 or below that. I'm not 100% sure. And we got penalized in rankings. We didn't get generate as much revenue as we could have. Although the units were spacious and were great, the building itself was a little bit run down and it was a little bit older because it was up for redevelopment. So what I would recommend to do is to scatter a bunch of properties Onto multiple accounts who, and those properties would have different quality and quality assurance. And that would give you the kind of the balance of everything. And that that works really well. Also, big operators like Sonder, they do it per city. So they have a city manager, let's say, and they're responsible per account. And that works tremendously well. It also creates this local feeling for the guests, right? Because they know that they're booking with Sonder Toronto or Sonder New Orleans or Sonder New York or whatever it could be. It has more of a local feel to it. And this business of short-term rentals is hyper-local anyways. So I think that's a big advantage there.
1: Right, and this option is is very balanced, right? Because you're balancing the the, the risk versus the operational advantages, right? The, this model has some operational advantages but it's not as easy to manage as you know just having everything under one account but then on the on the plus side if one account gets shut down then you're not losing all your listings so it's it's like a nice balance between risk and operation. Are there any other cons? Are there any other disadvantages? How about like the management side like PMSs? Do all PMSs support multiple accounts?
0: Not that I'm aware of there are PMS is the most expensive PMSs that are built for hyperscale. All of them do support that. Guesty, MyVR, HostAway, those that were designed for operating thousands of properties, they do support multiple accounts. Obviously, that's a given. Me as a property manager, I wouldn't look at PMS providers that don't provide uh, the ability to support multiple accounts. It's way too, too restrictive. It doesn't allow you to grow and doesn't allow you to scale because maybe today you're doing a master lease model. Tomorrow you want to be able to do management, and somebody will bring their own account which already has traction. So you don't want to be stuck in that limitation, right?
1: Right. So this is a this model is a good fit for larger operators, right? Because you don't if you have like two, three, four, five hundred units, you don't really want to do everything in one account because then you're taking a lot of risk. Uh, you're probably going to be in multiple markets, you know, or even multiple, you know, multiple cities, multiple countries. So this model makes a lot of sense for the larger operators.
0: Exactly. And also from a localization point of view, you're associating one phone number per account. So let's say you have an account per city or account per building and you have a building manager responsible specifically for that. When a guest calls or Airbnb calls, it could be routed directly to that building manager or directly to the city manager who is responsible specifically for that hyper-local scenario, right? So that is an advantage that you have there as well. A disadvantage there is that, yeah, you need to sustain and maintain multiple accounts, right, and that could be a headache if you don't have the correct infrastructure in place, in particularly the technology infrastructure. I think before this podcast we talked a little bit about phone systems and phone design systems, and I expressed how difficult it is to actually bypass and build scalable phone system for Airbnb management because Airbnb doesn't allow you to add VoIP lines into it. you need to kind of game it around a little bit and port the phone number from a carrier into a VoIP carrier so that you'll be able to use one unified call software company like RingCentral or AirCall or there's another new one that's called I forgot what it's called.
1: Yeah, we we talked about the issue of of having, you know, the same phone number. You can't have the same phone number on more than 4 accounts, I believe it was.
0: That's correct. I believe it's 4. Yeah. So that's a big restriction, right? So that means that you need to have a system that will be able to generate your phone numbers, and you need to assign them per account, and that becomes a big headache if you want to manage things at scale.
1: Right. So the telephone system is uh, is kind of complex. Uh, we could probably do a whole podcast on on the on just that. But um, just to summarize what you said, you you talked about uh, voice over IP, VoIP. VoIP yes. You called it
0: that, that is VoIP. Yes. So you have your Regular phone carriers, and then you have uh, virtual carriers, uh, virtual VoIP carriers, right? So most enterprise systems are built on top of some form of a VoIP carrier, which allows you to have and control multiple phone numbers and generate them with a click. Most of them are using the backend Twilio as a backend. So you can route SMS differently, let's say to your own web server, or you can route phone calls to a different trunk. That's why I'm a huge fan of AirCall, where you can route the SMS to a dedicated app, which we actually built to be able to control SMS. And then you'll be able to send the voice trunk itself to your air call trunk. And that way you'll be able to generate multiple phone numbers. And there's only one person who's answering all those phone numbers, right? So we have like a hundred phone numbers, but just one person answering it and it all comes down to the same place. But we know which listing it came from and we know, which profile it came from, and so forth. Makes it very convenient. Hosts are always asking, how can I make my place stand out when there's a ton of competition nearby? The answer is service level. When your guests can tell that you've invested in making sure their experience is great, they're more likely to give you a better review and rating. This is how you can differentiate yourself. One way that you can show how much you care is with a Hostfully digital guidebook. Include all the important details that make your property and location unique. Make your place stand out with high-quality service. To try our platform, visit hostfully.com. The first guidebook is free, and if you like it, you can always upgrade for more features.
1: Sweet. So, just to recap, having multiple accounts, clustered accounts, is uh, is a pretty good option, especially if you're if you're scaling. Uh, it's a good balance between operational advantages and 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 risk. Uh, you do need a PMS that can handle that. But overall, I'd say this, this, you know, there's not a lot of disadvantages to this, uh, to this system.
0: Correct. Unless you grow it to have a lot of listings under one, and then you set yourself as a target, right? And they're all murky regulatory area.
1: Right, yeah. So you know, you still have to look at your market and and just verify that If it's an SDR friendly market, then you'll you'll probably be okay. Uh, but you're still having a lot of listings in one account, whether it's like ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five. So you're still, you know, you're still one of the bigger operators. So that's uh, that's definitely uh, a concern. Let's talk about the fourth option, which is to have one account per owner. So this is specifically for property managers. People who are managing uh, listings for owners, that, that you could literally create a new Airbnb account for each each owner that you take on.
0: And I prefer to do that now. At the end of the day, what you want to do is you want to provide the owner the ability to control the quality of their listing, and by that I mean they'll be able to upgrade it if necessary, and it wouldn't impact any other owner. And we've seen that as being a big benefit. So that, that works tremendously well. That comes at a huge cost as well, right? Because it takes some time to ramp up the listing, to ramp up the account. You need to have all these IDs. You need to upload IDs into separate accounts. You need to get multiple phone numbers. You need to have a, a PMS that supports all of that. So there's a lot of infrastructure that you need to have in order to have that going. But at the end of the day, I think this is the one that it makes the most amount of sense. And what we like to do is... We actually write all the descriptions for our owners. We create and set up the accounts for them. It also helps because we get the referral uh, fee when we refer an owner, I think it's like $300, $400. In addition to that, we take photos and we own the rights to the photos so that if an owner wants to move away from us, we are still in full control of the account. And they, can't just say, okay, so give me that account and I'm just going to manage it myself. We'll say, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. We are the owners of that account. We own the copyright to the descriptions. We own the copyright to the photos. Go take your own photos, right? In most cases, we've even sold the accounts to the owners themselves for a certain fee, right? And that works tremendously well.
1: All right. So this is a model that works for property managers. But if you're doing master leasing or you own your own properties, then this is not a good fit, right?
0: Too much of a headache. Yeah. And maybe in places where there's a strict regulatory environment, one listing, one host, maybe that's worth it. And I guess the ADR and those and the overall occupancy and the revenue potential will be higher by default because there's less availability, less supply. So maybe that makes sense, but it's a big headache.
1: Right. So another disadvantage that I can see is you know, when you're listing a new property on a new account, it's pretty tough to get traction these days, right? Especially in markets that are very
0: competitive. That's correct, yeah. So how do, you,
1: how do you overcome that?
0: Yeah, so that is actually super tricky. And what ends up happening is that if you launch a brand new listing with a brand new profile into the slow season the only competitive advantage you have is price and competing on price is the worst thing you can do, right? You never want to undercut the price, you never want to undercut the market. So what we've done in in certain situations is we put a restriction of one night stays and then we would just ramp up reviews really quickly we would ramp up the listing and we would get ourselves and set ourselves to a trajectory of getting superhost status pretty fast. And then we'll be able to rank up the rates a little bit once it has a little bit of traction. We also added um, Airbnb has an amazing option where you can say you can offer a 20% discount or a 30% discount when, we, when you just launch a new property just to get those reviews going. So that works really, really well. As well as we sometimes, if PMS supports that, what you can do is you can create two listings if it's a really slow time, really slow season. So you can create two listings, one listing on your master primary account and one listing on your secondary account that you're trying to ramp up. And that way, what will happen is that the primary account will get some reservations and then you would sync the calendar with the secondary account. And what would happen there is that you're not... Building up the account, but you're still not losing revenue because you're getting it from the master one until you get to a point where that new account that you're developing would be able to self-sustain itself, and you stop the sinking of the calendars.
1: So, I, I want to change you on the on the the what you said about pricing, because if I start a new listing, let's say in, in a competitive market, right? If I just set the price really, really low for the first month, I get a whole bunch of reservations and then once i have like 10 15 five star reviews i'll just you know I'll just jank the price back up so why why do you think that's not a good idea
0: well you want to set a restriction a length restriction because otherwise it'll get booked really fast with five six seven 10 days stays and that's not what you want you're just losing revenue at that point right so if you set a restriction of one night or two nights or whatever it could be and you just ramp it up really quickly you would get a reservation You would get like, let's say you do seven days and one day reservation every day, you would have seven reviews right away, right? Within a week or so, you'll be able to increase the prices and start slowly increasing it all throughout until you can ramp it up to a price that you're actually happy with. That works well. If you just set the prices really low from the get go and you open it up indefinitely, then you're just losing revenue. And in some instances, what will happen is if your prices are low, you would sell premium dates at a really low rate when your account is just brand new, right? That means that you're leaving a lot of revenue on the table. And it actually happened to us when we launched a new listing. We set the prices really low. We didn't set restrictions. We opened up for a year in advance. And then New Year's Eve, which should sell for $500, got sold for $89.
1: Right. So what you're saying is, first of all, you should set a maximum amount of days stay, like, set it to like two or three, or even one. So, you're if you set it to one, so essentially you're only getting one night stays. So, I think that's that's a really good idea to you know, like you said, you get uh, a lot of reviews. It's better to have seven one night stays than
0: to have one seven day stays really quickly, though, right? Within a span of 10 days or so,
1: right? Exactly, yeah. So, you you, you get a, you build a reputation really quickly, but also, I think if you set the price low, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you only set the price low for the first month right so, so you still want to set higher prices for further into the future
0: correct that's correct and also you don't want to undercut the market too much right do some competitive research use their DNA or transparent or just look around on Airbnb to see how much your competitors are selling for and undercut them maybe by five to ten percent and offer something special rather than dropping the rate from 150 to seventy dollars right you can always sell it for seventy dollars no matter what when the price is 150 but that's not Overall, that's not good for the market, and you're just leaving money on the table.
1: Right. So you're saying don't undercut it by too much, undercut it by 5%, 10%, and then offer something extra. So what, what would that look like?
0: Yeah. Uh, value add. Anything that is a value add. Early check-in, late checkout, bottle of wine. Anything that would make the stay special to help generate that good review. We used to leave for the first couple of guests, we used to leave like a gift basket that cost us $50 with chocolates and extra towels and some other hospitality stuff that they really enjoyed. And that overcame all the other problems that you might see when you're just launching a listing. Things like, hey, it's missing an iron, a clothing iron, right? I don't know why somebody forgot the clothing iron or things were missing or the shelf in the bathroom wasn't assembled or it was missing a towel rack in the bathroom. And just that one little experience can ruin the entire experience or an entire review for that specific guest, right? And my belief is when you try to, and from experience as well, when you provide the guest something like uh, to make them feel special, they would usually ignore everything else that didn't go as right, unless it's a big cleanliness issue or, (laughs) or, or you didn't let them check in on time or something along those lines. That was a mission critical type of a thing.
1: Right, yeah, they'll forgive you for minor issues if you build a strong relationship, and or you, know, you can do that by leaving, uh, leaving some some gifts. Yeah. Awesome, man! That makes a lot of sense. So the one thing that we haven't talked about yet is the Airbnb terms of service, because Airbnb basically does not want you to create more than one account. Right. So how if you have like multiple accounts, like how how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, we usually are employees to create an account, and they're the ones, let's say, that they're responsible for a region or they're responsible for a building. So they create it under uh, the validate the idea under their name, and then we change that name to be a generic name. And we always use real pictures. We find that those convert the best. We don't use stock photography. It also looks kind of silly, and people can figure it out that it's stock photography. So we use real pictures when we can. I like using brand pictures. So if you're marketing your brand, I like to use that. That works really, really well because now you're setting a big hospitality uh, experience. If we're using a managed account, we always ask the owner for a copy of their ID and that is what we upload to Airbnb. And that way it's up to the owner because it's essentially their business, but we control that listing.
1: Got it. And talking about branding, I mean, if you create a new account for each property that you manage, Isn't it really hard to build a brand then?
0: That's a a good question. And look, I think uh, in Cartagena, Simon and I, Simon Lehman, we were talking about statistics and some research that they pulled from uh, Focusrite. And they said that a lot of travelers, 70% of travelers, don't remember where they stayed and who they stayed with, right? So it all depends on how you look at your business and what you want to do with it and what type of hospitality experience you want to create and figure out if that's incredibly important to you or not, right? I mean, if 70% of guests don't remember where they stayed, then do you even need to go and spend that effort and money of building the brand, right? For companies, big companies like Sonder, Domio, Lyric, where they're trying to create a brand identity, for them it's incredibly important because they're trying to get repeat clients booking directly on their site, and their first touch point is on Airbnb, is on Booking.com, is on Expedia and so forth, and they want to convert those into regular clients that will book directly on their brands, just like a hotel would, right? If you're, realistically speaking, have less than 100 properties, converting a lot of clients to book directly on your website is going to be very difficult for you, and it might not be worthwhile to do that. So you need to think about it that way and understand, is this really what you want to do, and does this have any benefits?
1: Right, and and you know, to go kind of on a higher level, that's something that uh, also came out of the event, the mastermind that we had in uh, in Cartagena, is uh, you know thinking about like what what do you want to do with your business, right? What what do you, what are your goals? What's your vision for your business? And I guess deciding what type of setup you're going to use is highly dependent on what your vision is for your business.
0: Exactly. I mean, are you building the next Marriott? If you are, then you need to think about branding early on and consistency early on and make sure that you have standards and SOPs early on. If you're doing it as your side hustle, then worrying about branding and worrying about all the quality stuff might not make a lot of sense for you guys. If you're doing it as a growing property management company, then creating a consistent brand is almost impossible because now you can have... Uh, $5 million property, and tomorrow you're going to have a $500,000 property, there's no consistency in there anyways, right? So it's very difficult to build that. And Mm -hmm. if you look at hotels, if you're booking one Marriott and another Marriott, you're probably expecting it to have similar amenities and similar things. Therefore, brand consistency matters, right? Uh, But in property management, where everything is hyper-local, one-bedroom apartment in New York and a one-bedroom apartment in Cartagena could look completely different.
1: Right, that makes a lot of sense. So you're if you're managing all these different different listings and they're all of different properties and they're all look different, they're different categories and stuff, then it doesn't really make sense to build a brand. Do you think it makes sense to build a brand for like small operators, like very local operators in you know traditional vacation rental markets that have properties that are very similar?
0: <laughs> no, actually I don't. And the reason for that is If you look at the trends in hospitality, most of the bookings happen through OTAs. I think it's somewhere around 80%, right? So when you're creating your own brand, you're essentially competing with the OTAs themselves for traffic. And I already have an Airbnb account. I already have an Expedia account. I already have a booking.com account. Why would I go and put my credit card or provide my ID or do this extra verification system on your own website? where I actually have a third-party mediator that is mediating the transaction for me, which is called Airbnb, right? So I don't understand the value in it. I don't understand why I spent the effort on it. And from a security point of view, at Autohost, very unfortunately, we see that the most amount of attacks and the highest risk actually comes from direct bookings. So the cost benefit here, is, I don't think that it's worth it. And I would invest more time building consistent brand on the OTAs and building a better profile on the OTAs and building better rankings, better reviews, spending time communicating with the guests, leaving better comments on those reviews if a guest was unhappy with anything to show future guests that you do care and that it is an ongoing and uh, a, a good business going forward.
1: So that's really interesting because i think a lot of people are talking about how how it's important now to have a brand to stand out from the competition and also one argument that people use a lot in the in the industry right now is like you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket you, like you can't control what happens to an OTA so they argue you need to have your your own website because that's your asset you can control it um so you don't agree with that argument
0: I don't agree with that at all. And if you look at the distribution of bookings on different platforms, even the largest players, right? More than 90% comes from OTAs. If you look at hotels, and we're working with a big brand hotel, and they get 95% of their bookings from OTAs. That is absurd, right? It's absolutely crazy. It means that consumers trust the OTAs. It means that consumers trust the booking experience provided by the OTAs. And at the end of the day, you need to understand that it does require effort. Even if it's maintaining your own website or your own booking engine, you're taking payment risk, you're taking credit card risk, and you're also taking privacy risk as well, right? Why would you do that if it provides very, very little value? So I'm against it unless you're trying to build something spectacular or you can offer a superior experience that will be able to provide a better booking experience than what the OTAs can, which is highly unlikely, right? Because our business is to be in hospitality, not to build technology that will compete as another OTA. There's plenty of them out there.
1: Interesting. So that's what you said is really interesting. So, so even a a hotel like Marriott, who has obviously a, a tremendous brand recognition they still only get 5% of their bookings directly. So your argument is essentially like, hey, if Marriott can even really make it happen, then you know, why do you think you can make it happen as a much smaller operator?
0: Some Marriott properties, not all of them, right? You use Marriott. Uh, I, I never use Marriott, but you use Marriott as an example, but you can, <laughs> we, can, we, can say, we can refer to a big uh, big hotel chain, yeah. It depends on the type of property. We found out that airport properties, this is something I recently learned, airport properties get, higher OTA bookings than let's say city center properties where they provide a more experience and a different type of an experience if you book directly. And if you look at the Marriott, they have their Bonvoy program. So they're trying to encourage direct bookings through that program. And over there you get different types of um, special amenities. So I know that I, when I book through my credit card, through my AMAX travel rewards card, what I get is a travel agent booking and I get room upgrades I get early check-in, late check-out. In some instances, in vacation rental towns, I booked a vacation in Vail for snowboarding, and I got a $200 credit for the restaurant and for their spa. So those are the ways that they're trying to encourage you to book directly. I mean, if you're an operator, you don't have the luxury of doing all those extra promotions. Realistically, it's only valuable if you're a multinational corporation where you have employees or you have different types of people who are traveling all throughout and they would prefer to stay consistently at the Marriott, right? That is where the brand recognition comes into play. That is when you would want to have your own website when you are going multinational and that makes total sense. If you're a small local operator, I don't understand the need for building your own websites. I don't understand the need for building your own booking engines unless it's specifically to promote your main business, which is property management. That makes total sense because that is something you can compete on and really make a difference versus your competitors.
1: So you're saying if, if you're a property manager, then it does make sense to build a brand.
0: To build a brand for yourself as a property manager, not your hospitality brand. And that is actually something that we ran into an issue with at Quickstay is that we had this split personality because when we were building our website, we didn't understand if we're building it for our guests or are we building it for our owners to find us, Right we ended up building somewhat of a hybrid. And I can tell you now that we spent a lot of time and a lot of money designing it and figuring it out. And we get less than 3% direct bookings at the moment. We only get corporate bookings out of there and SEO value, but that's pretty much it. Maybe the other benefit that we get out of there is that when we are selling for really high rates and our competitors are selling for somewhat lower rates, we're always trying to stay and be the most expensive company in our market when they see our brand and they see our website, they interact with it and they're like, Oh my God, this is a beautiful website. It seems like a real company. I'm going to book with them because I know that I can, for that price, I know that I can have someone of a quality assurance.
1: Got it. So you're saying if you're a property manager, you should build a brand to market for business acquisition to get more properties on board, but not to your guests.
0: Exactly. Because when you're building a brand for your guests, you're essentially competing with the Marriott and you're competing with the Airbnb and you're competing with Booking.com and Expedia.
1: All right, man. Interesting stuff, dude. Let's recap because we covered a lot. Uh, we went off some tensions a little bit, but I think it was pretty interesting. So um, but let's just uh, recap. So there's four different ways you can set up a business where you're running multiple units, whether it's like master leasing or you're owning the units or... Uh, you're managing units for other people you can just stick the ball in one account obviously very simple very easy easy to build a reputation but you're uh you're running a risk There's regulatory risk but also at the airbnb or i mean this applies to other otas as well of course we're you know just using airbnb as an example but you're running the risk that if they do close down your account then you know you're essentially losing all your all of your business which is obviously a disaster now you could also use Airbnb's co-hosting feature. Uh, we're not very excited about that. You said Airbnb is looking to phase that out, but also the they owners are have...
0: phasing it out in favor of Teams.
1: Right. Okay. Got it. But also the owners can you know start micromanaging, and also it's you know you don't have control over the listing. Then the other option is the clustered accounts. Uh, sounds like that is a really good option for. Most medium to large operators, where you're kind of balancing the operational uh, efficiencies and advantages versus uh, a bit lower risk, but still there are some regulatory issues in depending on your market. And then there's the option to have one account per owner per property, and that's really only a good option if you're. Managing other people's properties. If you're managing your own, it doesn't really make that much sense. But if you're managing other people's units, then uh, it can make sense. It's a it's a bit of a headache in terms of you know the setup and the you, the way you manage it and the the phone numbers and then everything that we talked about. But it is very low risk because if something happens to one property, then you're only losing that specific property, that account, and it doesn't affect the rest of your business.
0: Is that a good summary or? It's a very good summary. It's like you were born to do these
1: summaries. (laughs) Awesome. Appreciate that. All right, man. Cool. Do you have any final words before we wrap this up?
0: No, I think we're good. I think we covered a, a, a lot of ground here, particularly on the account management side. And yeah, I think we're good. Awesome, man. Sweet, dude. Okay,
1: well, uh, thanks so much for coming on, dude. It's always uh, really interesting to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to have you back on the podcast at some point because you you seem to be a bit of an expert uh, on, on pretty much all the topics that are out there.
0: I don't think so. I just experiment a lot with a lot of things and we were moving really quickly throughout the years and trying to really figure out our business model. So we experimented with a lot of things and tried it out. And I'm really passionate about the industry. So I hired a whole team that is helping us manage our business properly and really figure out what we want to do. So that is kind of how I gained my knowledge, right? Just constantly experimenting, constantly trying something new. We actually have my marketing manager. she's uh, I'm driving her crazy all the time with new ideas that I come up with just to see how we can stand apart, how we can move forward. And my vision about this is that you constantly need to be innovating. Otherwise, you're just catching up, right?
1: Sweet. Okay. Anton, thanks so much. Of course, you are the founder of QuickStay, property management company out of Toronto and also the founder of AutoHost.ai, which is a technology that you can use to screen your guests and basically make more money by keeping the bad guests out and allowing the good guests to stay at your properties. Correct?
0: That is Correct awesome
1: alright man thanks a lot and to the listeners thank you for listening hope you enjoyed this episode and of course next week we'll be back with another one so see you then get paid for your pet 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 get paid for your pet